Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. What is this? A movie for ants? And a wasp. Welcome to Panel to Screen. I'm Bo. And I'm Belle. Belle, man, how you doing tonight? I am doing a fantastic mundo. Good, man. Glad to hear it. I am doing well uh, as well, Belle. <laughs> <laughs> so, Belle, I hear you're doing well. Yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm doing I'm doing very well as well. I'm actually down uh on the coast here in uh Mississippi. I'm at in Biloxi, uh, if you can believe it. Yeah, I'm down here for a conference. Uh, one of my clients, I'm down here collecting audio for their show and uh, having having a good time. But I've got the whole setup here in the hotel room, and hopefully, if the internet holds true, we will be able to bring this episode to you. Of course, I'm talking about an episode of the most unnecessary show on the internet. That's right, it's two guys talking about movies, talking about comic books, talking about comic book movies. And this week is no exception. In fact, this week it is back to the basics, the purest form of panel to screen because we are talking about a comic book movie sequel introductory whatever you want to call it ant-man and the wasp and before we jump into it let's just go ahead and put it out there spoilers 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 here there be spoilers and ye been warned bell ant-man and the wasp so let's take them back to when the ant-man movie was first out uh this was at a time just shy of age of ultron but not quite captain america civil war um it was uh, you know the the creation of that movie you know it's it's well chronicled and everything else you and i saw this movie uh we discussed it on this podcast on panel to screen and shared our thoughts you bit more positive than me you really loved it uh, I was not as you know warm to it, but at the same time did not dislike it. And also, most of the things that you didn't like, I liked. You know, par for the course with panel to screen. <laughs> More or less, right? Here we are now with the sequel, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And where were you going into this movie? So, uh, as you stated, I did really like the first one. I'm a big fan of Edgar Wright. And even though he didn't end up directing it, uh, there was a lot of Edgar Wright in the final product. And so I appreciated that. And, uh, uh, but I, I, I really liked the first one. So going into this one, I was, I was really excited because of how much I liked the first one. And I was, uh, thinking that it, that it was, uh, uh, I, I was very positive. I was very positive going in. I too was positive. Uh, you know, one thing that I found interesting is that yet again, we're going into a Ant-Man movie in the midst of a lot of like really big climactic stuff, uh, you know, Ant-Man uh, was the final film of Marvel Phase 2, even though it came after the Avengers movie. So it seemed almost like a tacked on type of experience. Ant-Man and the Wasp is the first and at this point only MCU film to appear 
after the events of Infinity War. We need to clarify that. Okay. Now, chronologically, as far as the time here on not Earth 616, whatever Earth, our Earth is. Right, 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 yeah. The meat space. <laughs> <laughs> the the MCU. Uh, the yeah, MCU. It, it takes place after Infinity War, but the movie itself takes place before it. Okay. All right. No, you're right. You're right. And they that's very clear exactly when uh when the snap occurs. Uh Bell, self contained episode definitely kind of lowers the stakes of what's come before. What did you think of Ant Man and the Wasp? I really enjoyed it. Uh I, I thought they did a great job. I thought uh it 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 kind of captured a little bit of the flair of the first one. It wasn't exactly like an Edgar Wright film. He, you know, he has a very specific style. Uh, but I think the writing team, I know Paul Rudd was a part of the writing team. I think they did a good job kind of capturing that. And uh, the, the the beats and the jokes, I think, were there. Uh, sometimes they're a little too much, but we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, overall, I, I was I was very impressed and I really enjoyed uh, the movie. Yeah, you know, for me, man, this is definitely I see this movie as a definite improvement from what came before. Again, not hating on what came before, but I was meh. Uh, you know, I, I think I even called it Ant Meh in the, uh, in the first one, <laughs> yeah. and I was very much prepared to go into this movie calling this one Ant Meh and the wah wah, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> that it wasn't going to speak to me. But actually, I really enjoyed it. Loved the Wasp. Uh, did not think that the two characters really had all that chemistry. Their romance wasn't really there per se. Um, you know, in, in the in the uh, classic cinematic romantic couplings that we've had in the history of cinema. I, w- I would rank their uh, charisma, their chemistry right up there with uh, Anakin Skywalker and uh, Padme Amidala. Oh, come on, man. It was All not, right, that, bad. It, not it, that bad. I, I feel it was better in the, in the first one, but like it felt kind of disjointed just because there wasn't a lot of explanation as to what happened, you know, during civil war and after civil war, we just kind of got thrust into the situation where they don't like each other anymore. Well, if I may, I mean, I think they work better as a team rather than a couple. You know what I mean? Like, I think in the third movie or the third Ant-Man and the Wasp or maybe just the Wasp, I think that'd be kind of a cool way to bookend that that little franchise. But if if they go that route, I don't see there's any need for them to be in a relationship. I mean, yeah. I mean, is there ever really a need? Well, I guess what I'm saying is if you look at most of the relationships that exist in the MCU... They're based out of relationships that existed in the comics. You know, there's a destiny aspect to those relationships. The, you know, the exception being Bruce Banner and uh, Natasha. The difference, though, is that those two characters had crazy chemistry together, that it was almost happening regardless of whether or not the writers intended for it to happen. It just, it just worked out really well. ScarJo has chemistry with everyone. She does. She does have chemistry with everyone. I've, I've seen her with you, and let me tell you, sparks were flying. Oh man, man, it was like it was like a, you know, electricity factory exploded. It was crazy. It was absolutely yeah. crazy. And actually uh in uh, her with uh with with the rock, not not the rock Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but just literally a rock. Uh the chemistry was it was it was palpable. Yeah. It, it was yeah, my pet did. rock actually. And uh <laughs> she actually had more chemistry with the pet rock than she did with me, but like wow, it was it was you're out. It was definitely palpable. Hey, ScarJo has it, man. Uh, but, but you're exactly right. And so here, I just don't see the chemistry. I don't see the need for this relationship to go beyond what it has been or what it currently is. 
and I kind of hope they don't really rest in that too much in the future. Now, that being said, I really did love both these characters, even Paul Rudd, who most everybody likes except for me. I don't dislike him. I just don't like him. And, you know, he's a very passable, you know, sub Ant-Man. He's not Hank Pym. And even Hank Pym, I mean, like all of my same criticisms from before, you know, the idea of doing this multi-generational approach, not essentially getting to see Hank Pym as the actual Ant-Man, focusing on uh, Scott, who's a afterthought of a backup character to the Ant-Man in my mind. It, it just it rubbed me the wrong way. It didn't seem true to what had come before. And this movie also carries that on as well, especially in what they did with Bill Foster. I got to tell you, man. Bill Foster has been wasted by the MCU, and I'm really disappointed by that. So, uh, I, I mean, I kind of see what you're saying, but I think it makes sense in what they've given us. And I, I, I don't know. I, I like, I like the Hank Pym uh, passing the torch kind of thing. I like Michael Douglas in the role. Yeah, I like Lawrence Fishburne um, as Bill Foster. Yeah, I, I think, I think that works. Like they're, they're, you know, the the antagonism and stuff there. But, but I think you're right. Like I think it might have also been interesting to see a passage of the torch from you know bill foster to like a younger like black no, goliath or something that's like not that. even what i'm saying although i could see something like that and maybe that's and, worth and exploring maybe that's what ghost was maybe okay so here's the deal though it's not just that bill foster was a hero he died in the you know in the comic book civil war like he's he's a he's a major player and to kind of put him in this position yeah you know, I'll give you this belt. You're right. In the way they set things up, having him as kind of an older dude who is in somewhat of a, you know, has kind of this uh, grumpy old man history with with Hank Pym. I I can see that. That makes sense. Um, I would argue that it to me, I found it disappointing because especially with Claire Temple rolling around on Netflix, I thought Bill Foster was going to actually be introduced on the Netflix series. Uh, For those that don't know, in the comic books, they were actually married. Uh, And so given the generational gap here. That's probably not the case of the MCU. <laughs> uh, she, she would have been a child while he was 30. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, it wasn't a thing. But even, like, I, I can get past that, right? Like, they, they've set up this generational thing. I, I appreciate it is for what it is. What I can't get past is that they made Bill Foster essentially a villain. And what I'm, I mean, like, he said very specifically to Ghost, you've done some things and I've looked the other way. You know what I mean? Like he was basically complicit in murder with everything that she was doing. And I, I don't know how I feel about that, man. Like, well, I, no, I do know how I feel about that. I don't like it. I do not like it. I, 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 you know, I, I agree with you for a second, but I think my, my qualms with that were only in the beginning of the film. Uh, it, towards the end of the film where you kind of see where he really stands is where I kind of understood and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is where he's coming from. I think what it was is like he's talking specifically about her actions in S.H.I.E.L.D. where, you know, he or she she acted as a huh. as, as an operative. Right. Okay. And so, you know, I, I might not agree with murder, but like if a soldier goes and he kills a combatant. I'm going to, you know, I'll look the other way because, you know, that's what it is. It's warfare. Right. And so I think that's where he was coming from. He's saying, like, I don't agree with with murder. I don't agree with the killing. But like you were working as an operative of shield and they trained you to do those things. And so I'm going to look the other way. I don't think it was more of like a I don't think he was sitting there like she was killing people. And he was like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Just kill random people. But see, I don't I don't get the sense that he was talking about her actions at shield because that was five, six years ago at this point, I get the sense that it's about what's happened after the fact while he, she was in his care, you know? 
Like you, they made it, maybe made left it a little bit ambiguous, and I, I've only seen the movie once, so maybe I misunderstood that. But that's definitely the way that I took it. Well, she was in his care pretty much right after her her parents died. Yeah, but I guess like literally since the fall of Shield, because he talks about the fact that after the fall of Shield, like he was caring for her, she was his sole, like he was he was solely responsible for her. And she didn't have the resources. They didn't have the resources to basically, I guess, heal her or treat her. And so they've been kind of, you know, doing what they can to save her. Also, I didn't understand the full logic behind how this is Hank's fault. Even after they explained it, I was like, yeah, that's not really on Hank. Like the fact that he cut funding for this one dude. I mean, he didn't tell this dude to go off and do all these crazy science experiments. That, that's not on Hank. Yeah, that that was the thing that I think they needed to expound on a little bit because uh, there, there's the one throwaway line where Hank's like, you know, uh he's been lying to her that guy was a traitor and i think they, there should have been something in there to indicate this dude was if that's the route they're going to go because like right now we don't know who's telling the truth right because right. we had we had uh bill foster say one thing and we had hank pym say another thing but who's telling the truth who's right who's wh- which story is correct so i think there there, there, sh- there should have been at least a little exposition or maybe like a flashback or something like that to show this character's true character if you will and 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 for us to know as an audience whether or not this guy uh you know who who to listen to who's in the right because yeah it, it makes it hard to blame hank pym when you don't really know what this guy's motivations is, or are or like you know why he's doing the things that he's doing and so I, I do agree with you on that it was kind of it was kind of weird to to blame that on hank when you don't really know what's going on because it seems like hank was in the right saying no this guy was a traitor he was stealing stuff giving it to hydra or whatever Whereas Bill was like, no, he's a brilliant man who was disgraced by Hank because Hank has a problem with uh, with ego. So it's like, you know, which one is it? And they didn't really they didn't answer that satisfactory or satisfactorily for me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really overall, I feel like they wasted uh, what is a, a really amazing character that they could have mined for a ton of story. And they really made him into a weird uh, like morally gray, but not even like really fully gray. Just, just a, just a weird character. And what a waste of a great character and a great actor to portray him too. Like you know, like I said, I'll get over the whole generational thing, whatever. But, but I can't get over like that kind of corruption of his story. That really, that mm, man, that really rubs me the wrong way. All right, that's that's out of the way. I feel like to some extent, maybe there's some redemption that could happen if they wanted to tell a prequel. I would love an Ant-Man, Giant-Man, and the Wasp prequel uh, of them going off and, you know, fighting in the 80s or whenever. But who knows what will end up happening there. <laughs> I will say this, though. Uh, as far as, like, de-aged Michelle Pfeiffer and de-aged Michael Douglas, de-aged Lawrence Fishburne was the worst. <laughs> <All of laughs> no, I, I thought Something it was, was weird good. with one of his eyes. It just looked weird to me. I don't know why. I, I didn't catch that. I, okay. I didn't catch that at all. It, I thought it was pretty good. The de-aging technology over there, I, I feel, is continually on point. Um, okay, so we do get introduced to Janet Van Dyne in this movie. Uh, finally, the OG Wasp. Uh, you know, I, I was actually kind of hoping when it was announced that this movie was going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp, that it was actually going to be Scott pulling Janet out of the you know, subatomic realm and her being the Wasp. And so the idea of of, you know, kind of this new care you know new hero fighting with an old hero and and that sort of deal but instead they they maintained the fact that she aged which is odd because we were told that in the subatomic space that space and time is is irrelevant and perhaps she was in some sort of stasis of sorts well she said it 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 behaves differently so i mean who knows but um yeah right. that was 
you just it just microwaves you until you come out with um you know touch in your your good et powers. powers is like is what i like to refer to them as <laughs> you, you have glowy fingers that heal people come on that's et and she did phone home <laughs> she did she did she and did she had a telepathic home. link yeah so yeah this, no this is, i'm this seeing is all it. this is all et this ant-man and et and the wasp is what this movie should be called <laughs> uh but yeah no she did a fantastic job uh even though she was only popping up near the end. Of course, she was kind of the the reason for the mission. It was a very self-contained mission from that standpoint. And, you know, I've seen a lot of reviews that have said this, and it's true. It's nice to kind of get a break from the world-ending problems yes. and just have more of a, a smaller story. And in fact, I was thinking about this, Belt. Without the Fantastic Four, they've kind of established the Ant-Man, Team Ant-Man to be kind of the fantastic four right now. Like this idea of like journey to the cosmic realm, to the microverse, like that there's, you know, space age or, or sci-fi adventurer nature to what we saw in this movie. That is very reminiscent of the fantastic four. I could see that. And I would love to see the adventures of this new fantastic four that we have here fighting tardigrades in, you know, the quantum realm. That would be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be, that'd be amazing. So I mean, like, you know, one way or the other, really enjoyed the self-contained nature of it like the, the hunt for janet van dyme i got it I, I i dig it um hank pym had a lot more to do this time around it was actually nice to see him suit up even if it wasn't necessarily in in the ant-man suit but to have him actually go in and get you know be part of the action to reunite with his wife it's a lot of really touching moments between the two of them and between janet and hope and the kind of the mother-daughter connection is even and maybe even especially when She's being channeled through Scott. That was brilliant. Paul Rudd. It was amazing. Paul Rudd. (laughs) Like, I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was in his head. I know, right? He did such a good job with that. Like, because it was complete, like, you know, it it didn't feel like Paul Rudd. It felt like, I mean, it kind of did, but like it didn't, you know, he did did such a good job sort of portraying that like motherly kind of thing. And uh, yeah, that 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 was uh, that was a delight of the movie to me was that scene where Paul Rudd is is uh, possessed, I guess you could say, by uh, <laughs> by Michelle Pfeiffer's wasp. Right. Uh, that was really really good. And, and props, by the way, to the team that made the decision because you could you could see they were walking a line with that scene, and they could easily push it just a slight bit further to make that entire segment like hardcore comedy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just laugh out loud the entire time. Like it it, it was very much walking the line. You can even tell with Paul Rudd's performance, you weren't quite sure if he was portraying it serious or silly. And, and they were able, I think because of, I, I wouldn't actually put this on Paul Rudd. I think it's actually everybody else reacting around him. The way that they yeah. reacted to him is what sold it on her actually speaking through him as opposed to ha ha ha. Paul Rudd's being a lady like, no, no, no. It, it's, it's, it's the dynamic of the characters recognizing they are now speaking to someone they have not spoken to in, you know, a lifetime. And, oh, that's just a heartbreaking moment in, in its beauty. It's so wonderful. Yeah, that, that one, the one bit uh, where, uh, you know, they're talking about, like, you know, to reduce the beam from, like, three to seven. And, and, and Hank's like, that's too narrow. It should be, uh, you know, two to eight. And uh, and he's like, okay, okay, we'll we'll do we'll do four to six. And she's like, our first fight in thirty years, and, <laughs> and it's over just like that. Like that, that was that was so great. That was so great to me. Like just the way the, the way Paul Rudd delivered the line, 
the way that uh, Evangeline Lilly and Michael Douglas reacted to it was just, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It was just the, 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 the that ensemble cast that you had right there did such a good job in that one little, uh, you know, moment to really sell that and make it work. Yeah. Yeah, man. Okay. So we got ghost as the villain here. Um, you know, so, I mean, we kind of already talked about it with Bill Foster, but, but like her motives are weird. Um, I feel like all of this could be settled with a pretty simple conversation of like, Oh, you want to siphon her energy? Well, maybe that might be something we could do. Let's get her out and talk to her about it. You know what I mean? Like their, <laughs> their plans kind of align until the last bit of the movie. There's really no need for them to fight until the last bit of the movie. Yes, I, I do agree. Uh, that was one weak point for me where it, it seemed like, and I, I understand or I understood ghosts motivations where she's like, I'm about to die. I need this. This is, this is, this is the way we got to do it this way. This is how I'm going to live. I don't care about anything else, but it seems like there's a lot of points in time where, you know, Bill Foster could have been like, Hey ghost, uh, I know we're trying to, you know, pull the quantum energy out, but like, why don't we try to pull her out and then see if her experience in the quantum realm can help you fix yourself. There seemed like a lot of missed opportunities to kind of, you know, explain that and, and, and go that route. Instead, the route was, no, I'm going to like rip her to pieces with her, you know, this quantum energy device thing. Exactly. See, that's the thing. Like you're right. She's crazy because she's in like a ton of pain and has been pretty much her entire life. I I get that. I can excuse a bad plan from a crazy person because they're crazy. However, Bill Foster should have been like, oh, hey, you know what? Actually, Janet, she's a friend of mine. We used to work together. Uh, I bet if we can get her out, we'll talk to her. She could probably help us figure this out. And if she's got this energy short source, I'm sure she'll be willing to to make this happen as opposed to, no, just go out there, steal buildings and such. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that, that's that. Yeah. They you ruined Bill Foster, man. They ruined Bill Foster with this movie. I'm so, mm, I'm mad about I'm that. Just, man. I'm just glad that Bill Foster was in the movie. I wasn't expecting that. I, I didn't see that coming in. Uh, so I, I thought that was neat. Uh, you know, until I saw the trailer, I guess with, with where they were talking about that, I was like, is that going to be Bill Foster? Is that going to be giant? Yeah. Man? Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. But, but you know, and, and I, I could see like a selling point to me for that whole idea would be like, maybe Bill Foster was scared because she's unstable literally uh both like mentally and physically and so like it's one of those things where she could be volatile in the situation and like hurt him or his family or something like that and so i could see that but they they didn't convince me go that that. sell that you know yeah all right so but ghost overall i mean a a really cool reimagining of a classic character um you know uh, even even kind of a a deep cut with uh, her father and everything else I, i i liked her power set so to speak it it actually, <laughs> I've been having a lot of internet connection problems at the uh, at the house lately, and so whenever I play Sea of Thieves, it's been lagging like crazy. So the way that <laughs> which she reacted to the world, I was like, they really should just call her lag because she's just experiencing life lag. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean, like you know, uh, her parents are dead, and she's just standing standing sitting there, unable to interact with the world, a literal ghost. Uh, yeah, I dig it. Works really well. I've seen a lot of criticism, Bell. People don't like the fact that. She has existed working for S.H.I.E.L.D. and yet no one's ever heard of her. Um, what are your thoughts on that criticism? Uh, well, when you have a 10-year-old movie franchise that is ever-evolving, and um, because that's the thing, is you want her to be a sympathetic character. That's the whole 
the whole crux of, of her character is that it, it's, it's to try to make her sympathetic. So otherwise, it's like just kill her, get rid of her, whatever, you know. But like, you know, she she she's a she's a victim of tragedy and all these kind of things. And so you can't have her work for Hydra uh, because we don't see a lot of Hydra operatives. Right. I mean, like we don't I mean, granted, there's the TV show and, and like they have the, the Sokovian base and things like that. Right. But like it would make sense not to see that in uh, in uh, in 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 Hydra. But like, I don't know, with S.H.I.E.L.D., it's one of those things where there's things that Cap didn't even know about. Right. You know, there's different levels of clearance. There's like level 10 or whatever it was that uh, in in, uh, in the second Captain America movie where, you know, they had the the whole automated gunships. They're going to go kill people. So maybe she was one of those programs that, you know, um, I'm sure Fury's out of the picture now. So it's not like he really knows about those things. And it's not like he maybe felt it was a thing to tell Cap or the rest of the Avengers about. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard. Like I I get it and I understand, and I, I I really don't like retcons and things like that unless they have a very 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 solid explanation for it. But I mean, Shield's a big organization, and this is a this is a big franchise, and you know, it's it's one of those things where sure I I can hand wave that away, and I can be okay with that. Yeah, I mean. I don't understand the criticism at all, personally. Like you said, Shield is a big organization. People are acting like it's like five guys. Like no, no, no. Like they probably have tons of super assassins that we've yet to hear about. I would not be surprised by that in the slightest. And the argument of like, oh, why did they just call Winter Soldier when they could have gotten Ghost? It's like, well, because the dude knew Winter Soldier. He didn't know Ghost, or you know, that might have been a division of Shield he wasn't familiar with, or it was, and he just chose Winter Soldier because it was off the books, whereas she would be on the books. Like this, there's, there's just tons of different things and, and on top of that there's probably three or four other operatives or you know x shield experiments that we'll probably learn about over the next 10 to 20 years and they will also have been options so you know it's just who chose what when and where she could have been off killing people while uh winter soldier was off killing people and they were just multitasking it's a big company well organization they could do that if they wanted to so anyway i just i never understood that uh criticism but i've seen it so repetitiously i felt like we probably should address it so uh scott starts up the old uh startup scene which is uh you know something that speaks to both of our experiences with the uh xcon consulting what'd you you think of uh louise and team running their own startup (laughs) so (laughs) it was pretty funny but like i didn't pick up on xcon like i was thinking (laughs) xcom like (laughs) c-o-m And then, uh-huh. like, I was like, X- oh, X-Con. Oh. They're all X-Con. Yeah, I, I felt really dumb once that really hit. But I, I thought it was great. Like, I, I thought that was a really neat little uh, way to include them and, and, and bring them back into the thing. And it, and it was also like, a nice opportunity to have one of those, you know, uh, Michael Pena, Luis, uh, crazy diatribes that he had in the first movie, which were so successful. And, and, and <laughs> you know, they, they brought it in this one. I thought they did a really good job. It wasn't. It didn't feel forced. It felt kind of like, you know, it was a nice little injection there like it because that, that was that was a real good bit it was a real good gag and i thought this one was uh was also very well done uh yeah. I, I i i loved uh kurt i think it was the uh the the russian guy with the 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 uh <laughs> baba duke <laughs> oh, man. just reminded me of like was it john wick they talk about the same thing and he's like singing the song when the ghost comes in and steals the thing yeah, i thought they did a great job i thought it was wonderful i like those characters i like that they got to uh you know play around with with these you know new toys and stuff uh, that they had in the new movie but yeah i, I thoroughly enjoyed it 
Yeah. And you know, the whole, uh, you know, the rapid telling of the backstory thing, like they could have easily gone in the direction that most sequels do, which is like something that worked well in the first time, like the first time around, like do it to death the second time around. But yeah. here they uh, did a little bit more sparingly and it worked really well. Uh, yeah, no, I, I dug it, man. I also dug the fact that Scott, during his home arrest, has been you know gliding around, creating these elaborate games for him to play with his daughter whenever she comes in. Uh, as a as a father who has also created several elaborate games without that much time, I can only <laughs> imagine what I would do under house arrest. So, uh, really, really loved that. So yeah, good touch. Yeah. And the XCon security did allow for the introduction of a, a, a this southern dude villain guy. Um, I guess he technically was selling parts to Janet. He he seemed a little, um, I don't want to say pointless, because, I mean, he definitely served the plot to some extent, but he just, it was a weird, I don't know. Sonny Birch? Yeah, kind of a weird villain to be involved, yeah, right? well, it was interesting to, see, yeah, it was interesting to see him kind of as this, you know, I guess like tertiary kind of villain, I guess secondary mainly, but... Uh, yeah, you know, they, they had to explain how Hank and uh, Hope were getting all these things, and so he made that explanation work, and it was also a nice introduction to Ghost when they had that first meeting. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, I don't know, it, it kind of worked for me because, you know, he had the connection with the FBI, which is how they sort of found everything, and, and um, I don't know, like, I wonder if we're going to see more of him in future Ant-Man films, I don't know. But it, it, it worked for me in the way that, like, you know, there, there needed to be some sort of way where, you know, we got to explain how, you know, uh, Hope and Hank have been on the run, how they've been getting all this technology to do all this stuff that they've been doing. And um, I don't know, it, it made for a, pr- a pretty interesting chase scene, though, <laughs> at the end of the movie. Um, so so I, I think it worked. It was I didn't really pick up on the southern accent thing like it seemed. I don't know. His southern accent was kind of bad. Yeah, all in all, I, I, I think that worked. I- and just like that, Bell has disappeared. Did he shrink down to the quantum realm, or did he get snapped away by Thanos? There's still so much more I wanted to talk about in this episode, but uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, I'm on location, uh, although I don't think it's me. I honestly think that we've just been having some technical issues on Bell's end uh, tonight, so I, I don't know what might be going, <laughs> going crazy, but um, I will say this. Uh, overall, I really enjoyed Ant-Man. I know that Bell did as well. You know, um, we'll be sure to post out on Facebook and Twitter what our official scoring was. But for me, I kind of rank this, uh, mm, I, I think maybe a three. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I tried to steer clear from doing the, like the, the points, the decimal points and everything. But if I did do the decimal points, I'd do 3.5. I, I really, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was much better than the first Ant-Man there's just a lot that this movie did that I'm just not satisfied with. And it's more from like a personal level, not from a film level as a movie. It's a fairly solid movie. If, even though it does have a lot of weak points in the plot line and everything else, it's enjoyable. You can eat popcorn to it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's fine. It's passing. It's not the worst Marvel movie. It's not the best Marvel movie. It's just a a fine Marvel movie. And you know, again, for me, it's better than the original Ant-Man, but I'm really upset with what they did with Bill Foster I do think that the um, the villain, my, my issues with the villain really have to do with Bill Foster and the fact that they made him uh, com- complicit in, in everything you know negative that she was doing and, and what her machinations were. But some really cool special effects. The Wasp was insane, like the uh, the way that they used her shrinking power, especially with the flying. 
uh, really, really made for some amazing action sequences. The kitchen sequence in particular really sticks out to me. And, you know, just a lot of really good fun time, wacky, blowing things up and shrinking them down. Uh, so yeah, so overall, I'm going to say 3.5. That's what I'll say. And we'll find out bells by checking out on Twitter. In fact, actually the best way to check him out is by going on Twitter at ring that bell and just asking him, Hey, bell, what did you think? Ant-Man four out of, uh, out of five, where, where did it fall for you? And I'm sure he is more than happy to share that with us all. We'll also post it out to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash panel to screen where woo has been holding it down. Now say it with me now. Can we get a woo woo? Oh, that was on you. And if you did it, that's for Woo. Uh, so again, facebook.com slash panel to screen to check out all of the wonderful latest and greatest things going on there. You can also follow me. I'm at the real Bo York. I spell my name B-E-A-U. And as a reminder, Bell spells his B-E-A-L-L. We make it complicated because that's the way our parents made us. And until next time, guys, ants. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.